0: We pray, Lord. Amen. All right. I wonder how quick you are to take the easy way out. How quick are you to take the easy way out, kids? Are you the kind of uh, person who's very stubborn? You know, when I've got an idea about what needs to be done, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it done. Or do you look at a problem and you go, oh, too hard, and you walk away? It's, it's interesting seeing young kids learn to uh, tackle problems from very young, you know. At, at first, they can't get two blocks to go together, and you see them get frustrated and throw the blocks down and leave it alone. But, you know, as we grow older, we learn to, um, to overcome problems. We see the task ahead of us. And uh, we, we push through, we push on when the, when the going gets hard, tough. And you know, there is great reward in pushing through when the going gets tough. In the, our story this morning, in the last part of our story in Ruth, we see a picture of a man who is not going to let the problems get in the way of the good outcome, of the reward. But for, in the moment... It doesn't necessarily look like it's all going to turn out, right? We don't know what the end... Of, well, we know what the end of the story is because we just read it. But imagine for a moment that you're in the midst of the story of Ruth. You don't know how it's going to turn out. And it's the same for us in our lives, right? We don't know how everything is going to turn out in, the, in this moment because only the God knows the end from the beginning. But God made you to be a limited being here and now and to not know what will come. He's told you what you need to know for the future. And then we trust him and work in the way that he's called us to work. But let me just give you a quick recap. If you haven't been along for the journey, or perhaps with all that's gone on in your week, uh, you have kind of forgotten where we were up to. We're in the book of Ruth. Can anybody tell me the time period? Any kids, perhaps, can you remember the time period that the book of Ruth takes place? The time, the book of Ruth, the story in the book of Ruth takes place during the time of the Judges. I'm getting some some smiles, it looks like some, some people have picked that up, yeah. This is happening during the time of the Judges. So, this is way back, this is ancient Israel, after they've started to, they conquered the land of Israel under God's provision and guidance, and... They came into the land and God said, look, if you, if you obey me, if you are faithful to me, I will bless you. But if you turn against me, I will curse you. And in the Judges, we get that cycle there where you get the people of God obeying God and being faithful to him. And then they start to rebel against him and turn away and they receive, you know, consequences for those actions. But then when they cry out to the Lord, the Lord is kind and gracious and he redeems them and he hears them. This uh, passage, this, this story is taking place during that, that time. And during that time, there was a time of famine in Israel, and some of uh, some Israelites had left and gone to the neighboring country of Moab because they, uh, they, because they heard that there was food there, but there was no food in Israel. So Naomi and her husband and her two sons went to Moab. but while they were away, her husband died, and so did her two sons. So Naomi was left as a widow. And her two sons' widows were left as well. And one of those widows is named Ruth, the namesake of the book. So their husbands died. They had no children. So they were two vulnerable widows out on their own because one of the widows went home, but Naomi and Ruth stuck together. Naomi hears that the famine has ended in Israel. And so she uh, says, look, I'm going home to Israel. Ruth, you go home to your parents. But Ruth said, no, I'm sticking with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to become... Basically, one of your countrymen. I'm going to go with you. Your country will be my country. Your God will be my God. What did she say? Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So here, Ruth, is this this is the Old Testament version of a conversion, right? She is ditching her people and and the, the gods that she used to worship so that she could become part of God's people and worship the true God. And she did that by going along with Naomi and returning home. So Ruth is loyal to Naomi. Ruth is loyal to God and his people. So they come back to Bethlehem, a strange pair, right? Because Naomi had left full of promise, right? They went looking for a better life with her husband and her two sons. And so she's come home without her husband, without her two sons, but she's got this interesting uh, new person along with her, this foreigner, this Moabite daughter-in-law. Now, Ruth was a diligent and faithful woman who got out into the field to glean for the the barley grain, and she was picking up the leftover barley behind the, the barley harvesters so that she could make ends meet for Naomi and herself, and she happened to glean in Boaz's field. And Boaz was a relative of Naomi, uh, of, of, or more specifically of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And so, yeah, this is it just happened to be that way. He was very kind to Ruth. Boaz was very kind to Ruth, rewarding her for all that she had done for Naomi and for her dead husband. And so Naomi here saw an opportunity to find long-term security and blessing for Ruth and by extension to herself. So she arranged for Ruth to find an opportunity to talk to Boaz and ask him... ...to take her into his care and protection as a wife. And in in Israel, you owed an obligation to your dead relatives... ...especially your your brothers, to marry their childless widows. Because being without a family in that ancient context... ...put you in a precarious social position. And without children, you would have no one to care for you when you got old. You couldn't go down and get the pension. You didn't have hospitals to go to. Um, They didn't have uh, aged care homes... Getting old in a context like this meant eventually getting to the point where you couldn't take care of yourself, you couldn't make ends meet and you potentially would starve. So being connected to a family was important and as was having children because they would look after you in your old age and they would continue your name. So Ruth uh, asked Boaz for help. She said, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And Boaz, last week we read, Boaz said yes. He agreed. As a relative of her departed husband, Boaz had a family obligation to do what he could to care for Ruth, but Boaz wasn't doing it out of mere obligation and duty. We see that he was doing it um, because he wanted to, because there was actually another relative that was closer. Than Boaz was. There was another relative closer to Naomi who had the uh, the, the right and who had the obligation, because there's rights come with obligations, had the obligation to take care of Ruth, but Boaz was willing to do it, even though he wasn't the one who, who, who the closest one to do it. And so our story ended on a bit of a cliffhanger the other last week because we heard that Boaz was willing to do it. But this other guy was first in line to fulfill this right, this obligation. So, what will happen next? As I said, we already know. But imagine you don't know how the story is going to end. Put yourself back in the mindset of where we left it last week. Will there be a way for Ruth and Boaz to be together? Well, We will see as we unfold the passage, and there'll be three big things that we'll see in this passage, three things that I want you to see in this passage. The first thing to see is the redemption sought, redemption sought. When we left off the story, Ruth was at home with Naomi. Ruth was giving Naomi the rundown of the the news. Boaz had agreed to marry, but there was this hitch. But Naomi assures Ruth, look, Boaz is not going to rest until this is resolved. He's going to go out and make sure it gets sorted. And just as Naomi suspected, Boaz got right down to business, first thing the next morning. And now, even though Boaz was right on the case, it would not be as quick as you might expect. If you said you're going to resolve something tomorrow morning, you might think, oh, I'm on the phone, I'm sending emails, you know, (laughs) doing those things. No, in order to find the person he needed to talk to, he had to. You had to go and and physically find them. Can you imagine having to go and find your relative, not knowing where they are, ask around? Have you seen so-and-so? Anyway, one of the places where you would usually run into people around town was at the city gate. And so the city gate was kind of like this public communal space where business would be transacted, where things happened, um, where, yeah, where people often passed through. So if you wanted to find somebody, if you wanted to set up a legal agreement or something, you will do it down at the city gate. And that's what Boaz does. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. And so Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And He turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So this is an official thing going on. This is an official thing. He's getting the elders as witnesses to come and stand by while he does, works out some matter with this other redeemer. We, we're used to legal matters being resolved with tomes of legislation, lawyers to interpret that legislation, you know, contracts and paperwork. But in this ancient Near Eastern context, it's done by coming before the elders of the city. They were trusted to know the law and to know the right way that things are supposed to be done. And then um, they could also make decisions in the case that there was a dispute. If there's a dispute between the parties figuring something out, the elders could make a call. And so then you would transact your business in the presence of the witnesses so that it was public, so that everybody knew what had gone on. There was witnesses, there was accountability. You couldn't just promise something in secret and then not deliver on your promises because there were a whole bunch of other people who saw you promise or saw you sell whatever block of land or whatever the case Maybe, And just a little aside here on the idea of, of elders, church elders are not the same thing as the elders that we see in cities in the Old Testament, but church elders do perform similar functions in the sense that they are there to make sure that God's church is cared for and protected and that do- things are done in accordance with God's Word. And the New Testament even tells us that when Christians have a dispute with one another, they shouldn't go down to the court like that's not the first port of call because the people down at the court ordinarily are not going to be dealing with things in the context of God's law and the way that God said things should run. And so in the New Testament, it says when believers have a problem with one another and they need to sort something out, they should come before the elders. And so that's why, one of the reasons why it's important that we have a council of elders who have wisdom, who know God's word and who are able to help and look after God's church community and see it thrive. So please keep praying for God to provide more elders for our church. Back to Boaz. He gets down to business and he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought that I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. Uh, If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, it's curious here that this redeemer doesn't get named. Across the pages of the Bible, it's not unusual to find people who don't get named. But in the book of Ruth, it is. You will notice that almost everybody who shows up in the book gets a name. Unless it's a group of people, all the individuals get a name. But this guy doesn't, he is anonymous. And there's something about that, isn't there, in the way that the story fleshes out and the results of this. He's, he remains nameless for a reason. And in some sense, he's a foil. He's, a, he's an opposite for Boaz. Boaz is standing up and this guy is the opposite. Boaz is the righteous guy who's going to follow through. But will this other guy follow through? So Boaz starts, strangely, talking about land. And we go, hang on a second, I thought we were talking about redeeming Ruth. Isn't Ruth the one that, with this whole, you're trying to organise the marriage uh, proposal and everything with Ruth, so why are you starting to talk to this guy about land? I think this is part of his strategy. He's, stra- he's strategizing here. He's trying to make it all flow out in the way that Boaz is aiming for. And so he starts by talking about the land. Now, we haven't heard about this land before in the story, so how did Boaz know about this land? We don't know. Maybe Ruth explained it, the situation, the, the night before when they were talking about it. Perhaps Boaz just knew uh, that the land was coming up for sale and that it was, he was putting two and two together. Um, I suspect it was probably the first, that it, it was, there was more to the conversation the night before than is recorded, and so uh, Boaz has the rundown. So... The land is coming up for sale. But this idea about the land seems totally foreign to us. We don't live under the old covenant in ancient Israel. And so God had promised the land as an inheritance to the people and he had promises and blessings to go with that land. And part of the idea of blessing was that your name would not be wiped out. Your name would continue on through the generations. And you would do that by having children and being remembered. You had offspring who knew and repeated your name in genealogies. It was a kind of vicarious immortality through your descendants. And so these things worked together to mean that the land shouldn't be separated from family. It had to stay within the family um, and usually with the closest relatives to a person who had died. As, which is kind of what happens when we inherit land, right? If you've got a relative who dies, the people who inherit their estate are their closest relatives, unless it's specifically been apportioned out to others. So they've got to keep the land in the family. Na- Naomi is putting up the land for sale. I had to, you had to keep the name of your relatives alive. So there's two things going on here, two different ideas that I need to put in your mind so you can see how these things are working together. Because in this passage, we have these two different ideas from the Old Testament law, and it's all taking place in the context of tradition. So, there's, the stuff that's playing out here in this passage is on the basis of, like, their custom, the, thing, the way that they went about things, but it is on the basis of two parts of God's law. So, the one part was the law about redeeming land, if you fell on hard times and you sold your land to make ends meet, then uh, your closest relatives or very close relatives could come and purchase the land back. So they had a right to redeem it so you could get your land back. It was a kind of like a if your you relative really had to be wealthy enough to do it, but if they were wealthy enough, they could come and buy the land back for you. But if there was nobody who could do that, then the land would basically um, remain sold, up until the the, land, the year of Jubilee. And on the year of Jubilee, the land would return to its original owners. So in some sense it was more like a lease. It was a long term lease. But if you got your money together, if you got back on your feet before the lease was up, you could go and, and take your land back. So that's how things work. But there was an obligation to be help out your relatives in their need, so that the land didn't go off uh, and so the land always remained with the family. So that's the one thing that was going on. There was redeemers who would redeem land. And on the other side, we had redeemers who would come, uh, who, whose job it was to raise up um, somebody in the line of their dead relatives. How does this work? It meant that, imagine two brothers, one of the brothers died leaving a widow who was childless. So in that case, the other brother was called to marry his childless widow and the first child from that union would be take on the name and inheritance of the dead brother so it was it was vicarious it wasn't it doesn't work genetically we know that but how it worked in terms of legally was that you would basically be considered the child in the line of your uncle so we've got two things going on here so that the name and inheritance stays in the in the line and also so that the land does not depart. But it also was to do with care for the for the widow, right? Because as I said, there's no one to look after her in her old age if she doesn't have children. And there was a risk, um, it was very vulnerable place to be disconnected from a family. So between these two things, the what they call the Leverett marriage, where you had to marry your, your brother's widow childless widow, or um the, the, the the law around redeeming land that had been sold off. So, these two things are coming into play around this. So, Boaz is not the brother of Ruth's dead husband, but there was an implication here, a further reaching implication, that even though he wasn't the directly the closest relative, that one should, if possible, marry childless widows so that they are not left out and raise up... Um, raise up offspring in the name of the of the dead father so that's what's happening here both of these things are coming into play at one time in this land sale situation so i mean, i've just been going off my no, without my notes so let me just try and catch up to where i am in my notes um, she's it seems like naomi's on hard times and she is putting up the land for sale and she may have potentially already sold it, but she's trying to, um, she, yeah. And then Boaz is trying to redeem it. Or um, she's offering it up for sale for the first time um, in the hopes of making ends meet. And so Boaz is asking this nameless redeemer if he will redeem the land. Will he step in and take over the land because we need to keep it in the family? But if you consider which is easier... Which is easier, do you think, to have a piece of land added to your property portfolio or to marry and have children and take care of them? I think we know the answer. It's much easier to, you know, add assets to our portfolio, much harder to go and uh, to take on the extra responsibilities of uh, raising up a family. And so... Boaz kind of keeps the, the news about Ruth being associated with this situation under, under wraps. And he seems to be playing on this. We, we don't need much convincing to do things if it happens to go along with what we want in the world, right? If, we, if we're asked to do something that is um, what we selfishly want, we're much happier to do that. But it's much harder to do it when you're asked to do something that requires you to sacrifice, it's much harder to follow through when our heart's not in it or when it comes with strings attached. And so Boaz plays his next card. The guy says, "Yeah, I'll take the land. I'd love <laughs> I'd love some more land." But Boaz said, "The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." Then the redeemer said, "I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance." Take the right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. So he's he's when the news comes up, oh, by the way, you also, you know, with redeeming the land, you've also got this obligation with Ruth, who is the who's the widow of the, the, the people who the land came from. You know, you've got to raise up somebody in, in Killian's name to take Ruth as a wife. And now he goes, Oh, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm not willing to go that far. <laughs> So he says, "You take it." So it seems that, that that when because because of the way the whole inheritance thing worked, it, it meant that Ruth and the land came together. Now, just a little note here, although we're not used to this language of acquiring a person, you know, when we hear about people being bought and acquired and this kind of thing, we might be having alarm bells go off in our head. Don't, but this isn't human trafficking in the way that we think of it. It's part of a web of community relationships and making sure that people are cared for and that um, uh, that covenants are kept. And it's more complicated than that. Um, but even now, we rightly, like, we easily say, although I might not talk about Laura having bought me as a husband we can still say that Laura uh, that I am hers I am her husband I belong to her in a special way so yeah I'll just I just say that there was certainly bad treatment of women under ancient Near Eastern customs for sure but don't just hear words like I've acquired Ruth the Moabite and think that that that, that necessarily um, means that something dodgy is going on here so the other redeemer is faced with the fullness of his responsibilities. If he wants the land, he needs to take on the responsibility of Ruth as well, but he opts out. He decides to opt out, and he thinks it will imperil his own inheritance. How we don't know. Maybe he was childless and and worried that, um, and maybe and married and worried that if he married Ruth, Ruth might have a child first, and then this other wife would be you know this. We know that there's situations like that with other. Um, Uh, people in the in the Old Testament like Abraham and uh, Jacob you know when they had multiple wives and all the stuff that goes on with that Um, so maybe he's like no I can't do it I I can't do it it's too much of a risk so he opts out now if he was a direct brother then there would be a great shame involved in the law if you were a, a brother and you refused to marry your brother's childless widow then you would be shamed by your society for refusing to take up your obligations but here because these guys are more remote relationships the obligation isn't quite the same so even though we look down on this guy a little bit going come on mate you can do better we also recognize that he wasn't necessarily sinning Um, and given that Boaz was there ready to jump in it you know, it's not like he was leaving Ruth and Naomi high and dry by excusing himself from the situation. But Boaz here is held up as a great example. Boaz, even though he's a more distant relative, he's fulfilling this obligation. He's looking for the opportunity to, to go ahead. He, he, in this whole story, Boaz is held up time and time again, along with Ruth, as excellent characters. Boaz is providing food for the poor. He's treating people with respect. He's recognizing and rewarding righteousness. He is withstanding the test of temptation at, during the night with a pretty young lady. He's concerned for the reputation of others and concerned that the laws and the proper channels are followed. He's willing to fulfill duties and obligations. He's a man of action who goes through with his word and does what he says he's going to do. And he's willing to face the challenges in order to pursue that redemption. He is a noble man, a man worthy of great um, respect and copying, just as Ruth is worthy of copying. But Boaz stands as one who reminds us of an even greater man. As great as Boaz was, there was a greater man who would come after him. Boaz pursuing Ro- Ruth's redemption reminds us of the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus Christ himself, who pursued our redemption. Jesus came into the world with a purpose, to save a people for himself, to save the people that God had given to him. And he didn't come and he didn't find us like Ruth, who was doing the right thing, who was um, who was uh, loyal and uh, who was you know, doing everything in her power to... To come and serve others he came to save a people who were wayward he came to save a people who were destitute he came to save a people who were rebelling against god yet he didn't let those issues get in the way of the redemption right it was because of those issues that he was pursuing redemption for his people this is a great example who points us to Jesus, our Redeemer, the one who came and purchased us with his own blood, the one who laid down his life for ours. And in fact, in the New Testament, what are we told? We're told that marriage is a picture of of Christ and the church, of, of a man who will lay down his life to save his bride, to purchase his bride, to purify his bride. And that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus sought our redemption, and he wouldn't let anything get in the way. In the next uh, section, we see that this redemption is re- uh, achieved. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 9, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses that this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Marlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So they've reached the agreement that this has happened. And the way that they would sign that that would happen is they'd take off their sandal. This is one of those traditions that they had. Take off their sandal and hand it over as a sign of reaching an agreement. And so, in some sense, Ruth now becomes, uh, Moab, Ruth now becomes Boaz's wife in the, in the kind of leveret way because he's, he's taking Moab, um, Ruth the Moabite to perpetuate the name of the dead and to keep their inheritance with that name. So, or, we talk, spoke, spoke about this the other week. Ordinarily, Israelites were not supposed to be marrying Moabites there was a big question mark over why Marlon and Kilion had married Moabites in the first place. However, because of what they had done, now Ruth was the widow of an Israelite. And because Ruth had become loyal, she'd converted to become one of God's people, now this all uh, was all legal. It was all above board that Boaz was marrying Ruth, the Moabite. Yeah. He was doing his duty to his relative's childless widow, And then the the witnesses offer up a blessing of this union. All the people who were at the gate, uh, the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So we have here this blessing prayed uh, over them. But isn't this interesting that this blessing has already been answered by the fact that we are standing here today talking about Boaz. 2,000 years later, or more than 2,000 years later, right? We're seeing this worthy example. So his, his renown has continued and is a result of his righteous action and pursuit of the right way. There's a wonderful prayer. And they're praying, interestingly, about... Um, Like, basically, they're praying about Boaz's own family line. And we're going to come back and talk about Boaz's family line in a minute. But in this, we're seeing that this redemption is accomplished. It is done. It is completed. Reminding us, if we look back to Jesus, our Lord, who who completes our redemption, who purchases his own bride with his blood. We who would be destitute without him, we who would be without hope unless Christ comes and saves us. But instead, Christ has come and we have been won. We have been bought with a price and we now belong to him and we owe everything that we have to him. In the last section, we see that there is a bunch of prayers answered, a bunch of prayers answered. You might remember I said you should read through Ruth and highlight all the prayers. I don't know if anybody got around to doing that, but it's amazing how much prayer is in the book of Ruth. It's all over the place. Many prayers like the one we just read before, with a blessing, may you, X, Y, Z. Let's read from verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Another prayer of renowned. We are seeing... The fulfillment of all the prayers that have been prayed across the book. We are seeing it come to fruition right here in the fact that, the, that you know, God did deal kindly with Ruth because she found rest with a home and with a new husband. That was a prayer that Naomi made, that you would find rest in a home with a husband. It's it's happening right here in these verses. Ruth said, Lord, Lord punish me if I fail to loyal and to go with Naomi and do what I said I was going to do. And she didn't fail. And so she doesn't get punished. She gets rewarded. We, we, there was a prayer that the Lord would re, repay and reward Ruth by Boaz. There was a prayer that Boaz would be blessed. There was a prayer that Ruth would be blessed. There was a prayer that the Lord would make you fruitful and have children in the in the previous verses. So all of these prayers are coming to fruition in these verses right here, that they got married and they were able to have a son. And they are now blessing the Lord. They're now praising the Lord. Uh, blessed be the Lord who has not left you. They're thanking God for what he has done. And it continues on. He sh- to, this is talking about the, the boy. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. So you might remember when Naomi returned from Moab, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. And Mara means bitter, but Naomi means pleasant. So she's saying back in the day when everything looked sour, she said, call me bitter. But it's as though by the end of this story now, it's all back. It, things are going back the way they should be. And now Things are pleasant for her she has a grandson the name of her family uh, her husband and her, her sons is going to continue on there's going to be somebody to look after them in their old age it's looking good and not only that she gets the wonderful privilege of being a um, being able to look after her grandson obed now he tells us that his name is Obed. The women of the neighbourhood gave him a name. I don't know why the women of uh, the neighbourhood are involved in giving him a name. Maybe it was a nickname that stuck. But they said, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed is going to be a restorer of, to the family line that looked to be cut off. And in fact, not only would he just continue that family line, he would be the great-grandfather, grand, the, great the grandfather of David, King David, the man after God's own heart, the man who would look after Israel, the man who would shepherd Israel. This is a great and wonderful honour because not only is the blessing and the reward coming in the first generation with the son that they had longed for, now the blessing and reward is coming in future generations with the coming of the greatest man in in the history of israel david is considered one of the, the 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 high points if not the high point until we get to jesus but isn't this the wonderful thing right because boaz and ruth and obed would actually end up being jesus ancestors jesus the son of god and son of man who come into the world to save them from their sins they would be the ancestors of him and and this is a wonderful family There's a wonderful family line. Um, Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is a wonderful news. And especially wonderful news if you've just read Judges, where we had the refrain, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so Ruth sits at the end of Judges, in terms of it's the next book, and it tells us, it clues us in to the fact that the problems of Judges are going to be resolved because there is a coming king, King David. But this is all crazy family tree. If you would know anything about this family tree, you would, you would know that um, Tamar married Perez. So Perez is mentioned here, uh, sorry, fathered Perez. And the story about Tamar was that there was somebody who was refusing to do his duty as a brother under the Leveret law. He was refusing to go through with it and God um, uh, killed two uh, uh, men who were wicked. And then Judah thought that basically Tamar was tainted or something and causing his sons to die. Uh, And so he wouldn't marry her off to his third son. And then anyway, it's a big thing. You can go and read it for yourself in Genesis. I think it's Genesis 38. But the point is that Tamar and Perez is the offspring in this situation where it looked like the line was going to be cut off and, and God answered. And then Rahab married um, Salmon, Salmon he, Boaz, Boaz's dad, at least... It's, it's possible that they skip some generations in this genealogy. It was common to do that in uh, some, sometimes in, in Jewish genealogies. You just mentioned the kind of the key names, and so might not be father and mother, but at least a near relation in their ancestry. Salmon and Rahab. Rahab was the was the prostitute from Jericho, who was outside God's people, but she converted and became loyal to God and His people. She was redeemed herself. she was saved herself. and so Ruth is almost like brought into this family line as a as a mashup between Tamar and uh, Rahab. It just shows God working, God working down through history and working through unlikely characters, women who were ostracized, women who were outside God's people and brought in, women who were um, even treated poorly by people who should um, uh, who who You know, following God and call on his name. Yet God worked through it all and brought blessing. He brought blessing eventually through a girl named Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the one who would come from Ruth and Boaz's family line. He is the answer to many of the prayers of the Old Testament, the prayers for salvation from God. Lord, please rescue us. Please save us. Those prayers were answered in the coming of this son, Jesus. So what? Let's just recap and tie things up here. We've seen redemption pursued as Boaz pursued redemption, reminding us of Jesus' our wonderful, perfect example who pursued our redemption. We see redemption achieved, reminding us of Jesus, the one who achieved our redemption from all of our sins, from all of the evil and wickedness of this world. And we see prayers answered on every front. God always fulfilling his prayers and bringing a great blessing down through the generations. With that, I want to leave it there. I know I've got a bunch of questions that have come through. So let's let's pray. Let's have the Lord's Supper. Uh, and we'll come back and answer those questions in a few minutes. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you.